Welcome to Relationships as Spiritual Practice, Bridging the Secular and Spiritual. In this special episode, join Lachelle and guests, Matthew Letterman and Mark Idetta, both of whom offer this work to others and study with wise heart, ask questions and offer their own discoveries as they cultivate this important aspect of mindful, compassionate dialogue, consciousness, and skill. Welcome. This is Lichelle O'Charday with Mark Iera and Matt Letterman. And we're here to talk about Mindful Compassionate Dialogue Competency 2, Empathy. Yeah, what's been happening for the two of you around empathy? Go ahead, Mark. I just want to say it's a pleasure to be here and good morning and looking forward to discussing this uh, key competency. Yay, thank you. Yeah, it's a pleasure to be here and learn from you, Lachelle. We really enjoy this topic, particularly is uh, a rich one for us. So we uh, we really were hoping today to get, to really um, sort of touch and taste your energetic experience um, mm. of empathy versus the words and theory and cognitive discussion about it. Because mm. we found that a lot of it for us was how did like how does that happen inside of you not how we think about it but how yeah. does the process take place in you so that yeah. was something that was an interest to us yeah yeah beautiful i like it it's fun for me to talk about too yeah <laughs> it all is i like all parts of it really uh, anything so, else yeah go ahead matt so no i just wanted to make sure it's sort of naming that that's sort of the the interest doesn't mean we can't uh-huh. talk about theory either and then mark i don't know if there's anything you wanted to add to that i have so many little things that i just want to maybe raise as as it maybe comes up um within the course of our conversation but i think one of the things that you and i both were really interested about matt was just like you said lachelle's inner experience of what she brings to uh, an opportunity to give empathy and how she connects on an energetic level. That's something that we both are very interested in hearing more about. Hmm. Nice. Nice. So would it be helpful for us to jump into some of our questions or challenges? Is that how you'd like to start, Lachelle? Yeah, sure. Let's just go with what you have. And okay. if, if I have a sense, like maybe it would be good to go back and say something more basic, then we'll go back. But otherwise, let's just see what unfolds. Great. I have a quote from Robert Gonzalez that I felt really um, oh, yeah. um, just described what I think your um, understanding of empathy is, Lachelle. Would that okay. Would be okay if I read it? Sure. Great. So this is from Robert Gonzalez's book, Reflections on Living Compassion. He writes, when we are simply being with a constriction and we do not try to work through it, that in and of itself creates spaciousness. Hmm. That not in our experience that we are trying to work through wants spaciousness more than anything. It wants to be, it wants to open, and it wants to flow. It does not want to be manipulated or worked through or fixed. It does not even want to be empathized with so that it can change to something else. (laughs) 
when the knot of our inner suffering is in the presence of compassionate spaciousness, the precious life in the suffering state is liberated from the bondage of constriction. End of quote. Hmm. Inspiring. Yeah. I thought that that so captured the, the spirit of, of your being with how there isn't any sense of trying to bring an agenda to that presence. Um, and, and along those lines, Matt and I were, were talking about subtle agendas that we could possibly bring to the experience of empathy. And one of those um, agendas, Matt, I felt you captured very well in your, in your notes, the agenda of um, maybe trying to help the person feel better. Did you want to touch on that, Matt? Yeah. Um, let let yeah. me go back yeah. a second okay. because I don't want to lose the power of that quote. So mm -hmm. first, just want to say for those who are listening and don't know that Robert Gonzalez um, was an NBC trainer and he worked with the International NBC Center and he was my assessor. He's the one that certified uh -huh. me as an NBC trainer. What? Yeah. And he passed recently from this plane. And so we're grateful for the time he spent with us in this physical realm. He created a lot of healing in this world through his programs and his dedication. And I love the way he states all that. And maybe I would add just a little bit about, yeah. And he says, compassionate spaciousness. And for me, that word compassionate is so important. And we could use other words like warmth or love or acceptance, but that is key. That And that for me is what creates the spaciousness, is that ability to notice a knot of suffering and say, it's okay that you're here. That's okay. I send you love. For me, internally, when I notice a knot of suffering, I just say, I love you, I love you, I love you. And it's just a concrete, something I can do to open up the spaciousness. Be spacious is not necessarily a doable request unless you already have a practice around how to open up to spaciousness. And really for me, it's absolutely foundational is our relationship to our experience, which is what I hear Robert talking about there. That that's one of the most fundamental, the first relationship to care for in our lives is your relationship to your own experience. And so when we're relating to our own experience with that, that's okay. Whatever's happening in my experience, I can be with it when we have that sort of confidence, acceptance, and warmth. Wow. We have so many resources that we can access and bring. And we just enjoy our lives. We just enjoy our lives so much more when we're not resisting our own experience, which I name as the primary form of suffering we encounter in this world like the base of all suffering, resistance to our own experience of life. So if I was new 
how mm -hmm. would I have, what would I actually do to have a relationship to my own experience? I'm like, this is new to me, mm. but it sounds great. Yeah. What is going, what's going on inside of you? Like, can you remember that, especially early on, like, oh. how do I do that? I remember how hard it was when I first started. Remember when I started really trying to figure out how to meditate when I was in my late twenties and I just had so much intensity in my body and my energy. Not everybody has that. Some people have so much distraction or so much lethargy. Everybody has their own kind of block there that I would say, okay, I can just sit down and sit still for two minutes. And that was my whole practice for weeks, two minutes. I started with two minutes. And so for me, I just want to say there is no starting point that's too small. Already that intention of I want to be able to sit still with my experience and be with it, that's gigantic. That's a gigantic first step. And then if you just start sitting two minutes every morning before you go to work or start your day, that's great. That's huge. That's a starting place. But what are you doing for those two minutes? Like if you were going to like what's going on inside of you during those two minutes well are you seeing images are you smelling are you connecting to thoughts like what is what for me say? for me in the beginning i can still remember some of those first attempts i can remember where i was sitting and everything because i think it was an important turning point in my life what was going on was a lot of thinking <laughs> mm. a lot think 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 Oh, notice the tree. Think, 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 think. Oh, I'm still sitting here. I have one more minute. Think, think, think. Right? <laughs> <laughs> so just, you know, we're just like embracing that humanness of sitting still. We start to notice, wow, I'm thinking a lot. Okay. And I didn't even know I was thinking. I remember when I first started lead little meditation groups, I was leading a very, very beginner group and one week we just kind of I tried to lead following the breath and everybody was happy and they said oh I think I really stayed focused and the next week I did a candle flame meditation you just put a little votive candle in front of you and you try and see if you can keep your attention with the flame and then someone said oh because we were looking at the flame I could notice that I actually was never present and I wasn't present last week either <laughs> right so there's this level of consciousness of we don't know that we that we're not present we don't even know that yeah. so really baby baby steps and taking our time and there's no urgency mm. there's no right like you're not supposed to blink your mind or just that intention to notice your experience and maybe sit still and try to do that mm. now i'm thinking now I'm noticing I want to go running. Now I'm noticing this. Naming is a really accessible practice that people use in the beginning a lot. Gotcha. And usually it's post-tense naming. Oh, I was just thinking for a half hour about this problem in my life without even knowing I was there. Oh, okay. Welcome back. <laughs> <laughs> and and in, in general, I think people, I know I... My, one of my challenges is like, did I do it right or not? Yeah. Right. So, to, you know, I want to make sure I'm, if I'm not doing it right, I'm doing something different next time. So how do you sort of wrestle with that so that when you finish, you're like, oh, that was, 
I'm, I am doing it right or no, there's opportunity to do it differently or, you know, better? Hmm. Well, there's coming back to a deep trust in your intention, perhaps, and thanking yourself, right? Ah, thank you, self, for being willing to sit down with that intention. Even though the whole time we are sitting, I never noticed anything in the present moment. <laughs> That's okay. We're on a journey and we're not in a hurry. Mm -hmm. There's no hurry here. The intention is enough. So really just bringing that acceptance and that gratitude for your willingness to try it out, even though it wasn't comfortable or easy and, you know, the sky didn't break open with luminous love and light pouring down on you. Mm. Which so, we doing, want. so doing it right is the, about the intention, mm. not yeah. what actually happened. Yeah. Yeah. Thinking that. Even a doing it right then, Michelle, it sounds to me, the sense I'm getting is that it's simply bringing a spacious, loving acceptance to whatever arises in that space. So if there's a lost in thought and we come back, it's just welcome back. Yeah. Um, yeah. Welcome uh, it's, back. There isn't a sense of there's there isn't a sense of failure because whatever comes up is simply just received with a with an acceptance and a warmth and an, and an appreciation for any intention to connect to oneself yeah yeah and, and the magic is you can always get big, bigger than your latest reactivity right so you notice you're resisting having been distracted i shouldn't been distracted i can't believe i was distracted for 30 minutes in a row that's <laughs> intolerable what a failure yeah well, then you just love that oh there's a part of me telling me i'm a failure oh, okay welcome part welcome in every moment, we can do that. No matter what the reaction, the resistance, we can get bigger. I love that. Mm. We can get bigger. I love that. It's very empowering. And it mm. really bridges now right over to empathy because it was almost because empathy is for us, we, you know, it was, it's, it's around presence. So you were just talking mm -hmm. about presence with yourself. It sounds like you would shift it just to doing a similar practice with somebody else. Is that fair to say? Beautiful, man. I'm loving the segue you offered there. Thank you for that. <laughs> yeah, exactly so that. Say in some sense that maybe giving empathy is almost meditating in their presence. Oh, beautiful, Mark. I'm loving that. Yeah, meditating in their presence, getting a little bit bigger than the experience they're offering. Love it. And if you're getting reactive with something they're saying, you're noticing that. And I, I hope, you know, intention to get bigger than that reaction yeah if you're having oh, thoughts yeah you can acknowledge the thoughts so it's a very similar process oh there's a part of me starting to react okay that's okay that's okay mm. Lachelle, um maybe a more technical question but one that also kind of would, would love to peer into your experience to what degree when you are sitting with someone and being with them do you try to share in their energetic experience? What degree, if they, if you sense that they're in despair, do you try to um, taste that energy with them and sit with them there? Hmm. Good question. I think you're bringing up a, 
more subtle topic about empathy and boundaries, which I think is really, really important. Mm. You're not in one, maybe one of the things that it says on the 12 essential aspects of empathy, let's see if I can find the page, is that you're not actually giving empathy if you can't say no to giving empathy on page 10 in the competencies handout and empathy. And so that's what that's actually about boundaries. And to speak more directly to your question, Mark, For me, when I'm giving empathy, it's very important that I'm actually, actually my energy is centered over my center. Mm -hmm. And if it, somebody's bringing an emotion or an energy that's I'm perceiving or experiencing as intense or big or whatever the word would be, then I'll sometimes let my attention leave them completely for moments, follow my energy line all the way through my crown and all the way through my root chakra and go back up and down a couple of times in my center. You know, you could just breathe into your abdomen. There's a variety of things that could happen there. And then the next part I think is more what you're getting to Mark, where from that center line, I ask myself to relax and, be, and become quiet inside. And I imagine my energy field expanding and being kind of empty. Not in a physical way, because our energy fields are full of energy, right? But in a way that it's empty of my own agendas or thoughts or conflicts or whatever I might have going, just for those things to empty out. And then I wait. I listen to the person and I wait for a sense of their world to come to me. And in that way, I'm trusting the filter of my intention to bring me something of their experience that would be helpful for me to connect with. If I intentionally go over into their field, I'm imagining I could take on a lot of what's happening for them in a way that's not healthy for me. and probably in the end, well, not probably, I'm imagining not useful for them. And so that's one thing that things come over what's needed and of course there's you know human beings are amazing at what we can notice unconsciously right in terms of physically with our eyes and our ears and so we call in the world of body-centered therapy we call that tracking like we are tracking thousands of tiny muscles tiny expressions body posture thousands and thousands of those expressions per second and making meaning of that. And that's how we make an empathy guess. Right? Both things, that intuitive sense of what comes and also thousands of mini observations. So then, Lachelle, it sounds like there is a lot of care to just stay rooted in your own experience. Yes, lots of care there, yeah. And it sounds like the difficulty or maybe the challenge of trying to get into their energetic field is that we could almost cease to be of use to them yes okay. love the way you said that yeah okay. yeah and you know i'm kind of speaking 
about my most centered state. So I don't want to give the impression like you have to enter into this perfectly aligned state to give empathy. You know, when I'm not that regulated or centered, I have the vocabulary of feelings and needs memorized and at the ready. So even from a less centered state, I can just, my guesses feel much more random for the, from those states. But people, I really believe it's still an incredible gift to people because it's so rare for someone to just say something like, oh, were you looking for more trust in that situation? Just to make an empathy guess, right? A simple empathy guess. It's already a lot. Yeah, I've, I've experienced with my daughters even telling her what I'm feeling and asking her just to tell that back to me. Right. Softens me. So yeah, even if you're so not simple. centered or getting it on your own, there's still landing, you know, some energetic landing from them. Yes, absolutely. So yeah. I like that point. You don't have to be in that perfect centered state. Yeah, yeah. And empathy can be as simple as just parroting right being like a parrot and just saying exactly back what you heard people still can receive tons of empathy right because we're so often just hearing people's interpretations back or their agenda back just to hear our own words back is a huge gift mm -hmm. it slows down the conversation it regulates the physiology and it allows the person who was speaking to stay with themselves a little longer in what they just offered. They stay longer with themselves when you just repeat back, which is maybe another way of defining empathy. You're just helping someone stay with themselves, trusting in their incredible gifts that they already have. If they remain present, then those gifts open up. Hmm. I just got a sort of like an, an awareness of when you reflect back, you're help like you're helping them stay present. So you're basically helping them meditate. Yeah. Right. Like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. And and staying connected to feelings and needs instead of going to thoughts and reactivity. So you're actually sort of like a a meditation support tool as well, right? In a way. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, Matt. I love how you're bridging that. Yeah. I Maybe to, to bring up another aspect that I know I've struggled with, Matt and I spoke about this yesterday, is how sometimes we have a subtle expectation that our empathetic reflections will somehow bring them relief yeah. by helping them to connect to their, their own, um, their own yeah. needs. Yeah. And I guess I'm wondering um, when it comes to having a subtle agenda, um, do we need to guard ourselves against trying to have our empathic reflections um, do anything for them except to just try to help them to track with their own experience? Mm -hmm. Can you say some more about that, Lachelle, in terms of expectations that way? Thank and you. Before, and, and actually, so Mark, yeah. can, can I add to that? Just so maybe there's two steps. And the first would be, does our desire to want to contribute to the other person by providing presence and empathy mean we're not in empathy because we have that agenda for contribution. So, mm -hmm. and then, and then I was, and then <laughs> sort of based on that, Mark's mm -hmm. question would be like the second part of that. Mm. Yeah. I think there's another question there. Like when I offer empathy, what am I wanting to contribute? And maybe 
there would be lots of answers to that question. But one thing that occurs to me as possibly the most basic and the and most agenda free would be companionship. I'm just accompanying you in your world. And trusting that, and you know, it's a certain kind of company. It's a warm company. It's a desire in that companionship. You have a desire for the other person's well-being without attaching to what that looks like or when, right? Letting go of the when, what, where, letting go of all those things that go in a specific doable request and just companionship. I think even if we say I'm wanting to provide relief, we're, in, we're starting to enter into an agenda for that person because relief might have its own time scale. I'm confident that relief does come from companionship, but maybe not in that moment. Maybe an hour later, maybe a day later, maybe 10 years later. <laughs> so allowing that spaciousness of you don't know when the gift of your companionship will kind of fruit and flower for that person, but you trust in the power of the offering. Kind of as a baseline starting point. And then that begs the question, how does that person receive companionship? And then, and then we start to ask, oh, well, is there a special way I offer my companionship or my empathy that makes it easier for them to receive, right? And the most simple one we talk about is some people receive silent empathy better. And some people, if you're doing silent empathy, they think you've You've totally gone absent. So we start to get subtle about what would give you a sense that I'm with you right now. A lot of people don't know. So we just go through the menu ourselves and try stuff out until we see a response. Like, oh, you're with me. I see that you're with me. Thank you for being with me. We're looking for that feedback. Something comes up for you, Mark? It does, LaShawn. I'm so grateful for this This insight right now matt and i were talking about trying to meet needs for flow within giving empathy to someone and i think this maybe even gets to a point you made in your video about empathy within the training course mm. that different people have different preferences for receiving empathy. Mm. yeah um but with respect to this question sometimes we, we're trying to wonder does it meet needs for empathy to simply be present in the spirit of Robert Gonzalez's compassionate presence, where we're simply just being there with their experience, or does it does it give them a sense of being accompanied by naming their emotional experience and by maybe helping to connect to a deeper need? And so, I guess it kind of falls along those lines um, in terms of how we can best provide that accompaniment or that presence for them. Um, do you see, so do you see one approach is maybe being more effective based upon where a person is at? In other words, mm. you, well, I would, so I wanna pull something apart there first. 
course, I, I wasn't with Robert when he wrote that. So I'm going to offer my own interpretation. My perception is he's talking about a consciousness of being with. And for me, that doesn't exclude actions. I think when we think about being something, we think about not moving or being still. I wouldn't, I wouldn't define it that way. I'm bringing the consciousness of I want to give you companionship. And if we're really thinking like in terms of classic MVC, then companionship is a need. And I'm looking for what would meet your need for companionship. Sometimes it is being still for certain people. Right. And yeah, I think it's both things, Mark. It's that strategy for what will give you a sense of companionship and empathy and compassion changes depending in kind of a basic way on the person and also changes depending on what they're bringing and where they're at, right? And then we're in that process called attunement, attuning to what they need right now. I'm dreaming of a world where everybody had so much development and emotional awareness that they'd be able to say, you know, if you and I were hanging out, Mark, I'd be able to say right now, I just, for companionship and empathy, I'd like you to sit beside me and just meditate with me on the trees and the sun in front of us. And then in another time, I want you to be close and just kind of constantly feed back my words. I need that kind of companionship. Are you willing, right? So that each person would have enough awareness and have enough people they trust that they can make those little requests, right? Would you say then a good strategy would be to maybe ask a person what might serve them in this moment by just sitting with them or how, or what would you suggest about? I would say you could offer a menu item, but I would say most people don't know the answer to that question. So then you could just offer some menu. Hmm, I'm really wanting to just be with you and offer you warmth and companionship and empathy. Would it help for me to just make some reflections about what you're saying and some guesses about what you're feeling and what you're caring about? Or would it help just to sit and listen for a while? Will be helpful, right? Or a hug, or right? You can offer some menu items there. Most people can choose from a menu, but they can't make up necessarily make up the menu themselves. What's um, sort of take this a little further? What's the energetic difference when you're with someone and present with them versus when you're just sort of in the same room with them, right? In other words, like I, growing up, there'd be adults, I remember that were like, yesing me, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. Or I could even <laughs> be on the phone, you know, and some, I'm like, they're not really listening, you know? But it's, they're not, I, I, that's just the sense I get, right? So, and, and I think that there's a difference when some people are really present with me. So what's mm -hmm. the energetic difference? Because I can imagine I want to provide that for other people and I want them to know that I'm actually present with them. So what would I be, you know, doing differently to have mm -hmm. that energy? Do you see that? And, and are you, yeah. you know, does it make sense when I say yeah. those two different things? Yeah. And maybe I'm going to just say that I'm going to use the words attention and energy interchangeably so that energy, I'm hoping that will help the word energy become more accessible for more people. Mm -hmm. 
We can think of the way we direct our attention as a way we direct our energy. And so there's so many factors, right? But let's just imagine first, we're just in a helping relationship and we are in the role of the helper, a therapist or a coach or a priest or whatever it might be, right? Or maybe co-counseling, we're in a co-counseling situation. Then most of the time in those one-on-one actions, it's like our attention is coming in, right? And it's like, it's making a bubble around the person and it's running up and down our center like we already talked about. That's a little different if we're working with someone either in a as a client or a family member who when you bring your attention like that, it frightens them. It's too much, right? It's too much vulnerability. It's too much attention. It triggers shame, right? All kinds of things can happen because they have some learned experience that a lot of attention is dangerous for whatever reason. So then in that case, you're maybe intentionally broadening. You're just, you can just imagine and visualize, oh, my attention is going out. I'm creating a big field of warmth and compassion. And the way that maybe looks or sounds tangibly is you shuttle your attention. You look at the person, you say, uh-huh, or whatever, like you're saying, Matt, hopefully with some in- intention, right? And I think you were talking about uh-huh and yeses that didn't have the intention of presence. So that's a huge difference right there. So you're offering attention to them and then maybe you're looking out the window or you're pouring a cup of tea and you're coming back, right? So we're titrating that attention so the person can see, oh, I'm receiving attention that's nourishing. It's safe here. And then you look away so they can take that in, come back. That was a lot more detail than maybe you were looking for. But, but I, I, I find it helpful. And I think there's, if you just look at the action of standing next to somebody and not saying anything, yeah, you can, ha- you can provide, you need more, right? That's not enough to know whether you're being empathic or not, because Right. In other words, you could stand next to someone and, and look, not say something and not really be present with them, sure. or you can stand next to someone and not say something and be present with them. Sure. And I think that's why a lot of people say, oh, I'm, I'm not doing anything. I'm just, you know, emp- is that really doing anything if I'm, if I'm in empathy? And I think it depends, right? It depends if you're present. And I just, I think it's hard for people. I know it was hard for me to understand what does that really mean? to be present. And that's where we, you know, we were talking about earlier. That's how all of a sudden, you know, you, you are doing something. And I think we're just by your intention, you mean, right, right, right. And it's, mm-hmm. it's, that's the key, right? It's, it's, mm-hmm. it's not just standing there and not saying anything and, and looking at them. It's actually, what's your intention yeah. going on inside you. And that's why I wanted to get very clear about your inner experience because people can't see that. Right. But they can mm. feel a difference when you're providing mm-hmm. empathy or when you're just standing there. Yeah, yeah. So it's, it's really hard, I think, to learn that and to teach that, yeah. that, that experience. Does that make sense? Yeah, and I would say, we'll come back to your earlier question or comment, Matt, about it really does require that we cultivate it in ourselves. Right. Yeah, that we spend time... You know, if we just live in a world where there's so many resources if you have the internet, right? Like there's hundreds and hundreds of loving kindness meditations, 
by all different kinds of teachers from different modalities, secular and from spiritual traditions all over. So just to say, okay, I'm going to do a loving kindness meditation once a week. And so you, what you're doing in my mind <clears throat> is you're training yourself to open the door to what you already have. It's not that you're lacking. You see, you have it all. And because of the conditioning we're experiencing in this world, some doors got closed. So most of us can be a little rough living, growing up in this world emotionally at the very least most of us need to train ourselves oh this it's there and i can open the door and this is how i do it right and so we're training ourselves to do that and then when we do it on our own we're with someone and we just say ah i just want to stand beside them and open that door of loving kindness and just ask say to myself radiate radiate mm -hmm. love and it becomes specific and doable after we've really practiced it a lot. Right. But until then, maybe we're just imagining, which is a lot. We're having the intention, which is a lot too, right? It's already a lot. Yeah. Hmm. I wonder if there's a correlation between people who think that meditation is not really that important or doesn't work or it's too hard and the people that think that empathy isn't doing anything now i wonder mm. if there's you know it's sort of it's two sides of the similar coin i would think mm -hmm. so you have to experience it in yourself to probably value the power of it yeah with somebody else yeah for sure that's helpful some people i think are looking for a balance right they they're not wanting us to sit on a cushion until we're completely enlightened to take action they're wanting mm -hmm. hopefully we're wanting both that we right. take the best action we can with the wisdom we have to make the world a better place and we also cultivate that wisdom so that every action we take becomes a little bit more effective okay. i like coming back to your menu also so that maybe we're not super skilled at doing this but we can tell the other person hey i i had this intention to be present I really yeah. connected the feelings and needs. What can I, did you get that experience or what can I say that would help you get that experience if you didn't? Cause I feel connected, you know, so you can also check yeah. in even if you don't feel particularly skilled. Yeah, absolutely. You can always ask. Yeah. I like it. Yeah. Sometimes we just, most of communication is we forget to ask the yeah. other person. How was that for you? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Mark, looks like you have a couple of things bubbling up. I, I am um, interested in, I guess, maybe to slightly shift um, focus mm -hmm. when it comes to the process of naming emotion for the other person or even for ourselves. I have a quote here from this wonderful book um, by Greg Johansson and Ron Kurtz. It's a Hakomi, oh, yeah. uh, Hakomi based. And mm. Um, may I share another quote from this? Sure. What's the name of the book for people listening? Absolutely. It's called Grace Unfolding by Greg Johansson and Ron Kurtz. Okay. And um, uh, they write, in psychotherapy, the words we use both give rise to and kill meaning. 
Words can name and create meaning, bringing experience to expression and understanding. However, they never capture precisely what is. We can get lost in words. They can separate us from experience, imposing alien meanings on it instead of being congruent with it. Experience is basic, even though without words, we cannot articulate it. To be the best clients we can be, we need to look within and pay close attention to our experience. We need to hesitate to name our experience too quickly, thereby imposing meaning on it and losing a chance to learn from it. It is best when we can focus on our level of being and be ready to stay there without words until the experience itself gives rise to the words, end of quote. Mm. And I wanted to share that, Lachelle, and get your thoughts on that within the experience of empathy. Mm. Nice. Yeah. Appreciate that from Greg and Ron and for you bringing that. <laughs> mm. Yeah. Yeah, it occurs to me that there's a danger in words of shifting to analysis, probably as one of the most common distractions from connection with yourself or connection with someone else. We're imagining we can put words on stuff and kind of analyze it and figure it out like a mechanic with an engine, pull apart these parts and we know all the parts and the names and then we know how to put them back together in a way that makes the car go. So that we're kind of inundated with mechanical models, right? And that's changing some, I think, in science with quantum physics. And so sometimes I, so two things occur to me that are, that I hope are practical. One is, I think what that quote is trying to say is that more words often means less connection. Three things, we'll say three things. And that rushing to get to the words, I think is what that quote is saying, often means less connection. So... Dream, you know, again, I'm dreaming of a world that slows down conversations, that when someone says something, there can be a breath without the rush into my next thought or a question for you or free association. But there's like a, there's a lot of empty spaces in a conversation in which things kind of expand and relax. And the last thing I would say is we can make use of nonlinear words as a way of not moving right into the left brain. Metaphors are amazing for describing experience. Can encourage people to notice if there's an image present and then describe that image and allow that image to carry the experience. So things like that. Would you say, Lachelle, that there's a sense in which we might name something too quickly and therefore not allow ourselves or the other person we're with to not really fully embody that experience or even connect to it on maybe a more bodily level? Yeah. yeah. Is, there, is there an aspect to that as well? Yeah. And a simple, a simple help with that is just to say, oh, when you say that, 
Is there something happening in your body associated with that? Do you want to notice where that lives in your body? Something simple like that. Wow, that's that's wonderful. So then within the pra our practice of empathy with ourselves and others, directing them to their body and how they're experiencing it is also another aid in being present with them. Yeah? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Or, you know, if you have enough rapport, you can notice their body. Oh, I noticed when you just said that, you started to kind of lean forward and your head went down. Mm. I'm guessing something's happening there in your body. Mm. Yeah, just feel heavy all of a sudden, right? And then we have a new, and then suddenly they knew, know, notice a new aspect of experience. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Um, when, when it comes to bringing things to empathy and the point that you made in your, in your teaching video was that depending upon the type of person, um, let's say if, if they're, you said it, if they're very, defended or if they're trained not to feel their feelings, then normalizing and acceptance along with empathy can be helpful. I really enjoyed and appreciated that point. Mm. Um, but, and it seems like within our giving empathy to someone, sometimes in addition to our presence, sometimes trying to help them to even maybe accept their experience would be an aspect there. Or can you help, can you help me to better understand how the process of maybe normalizing and acceptance can help within the context of empathy. Mm -hmm. Well, we can always go back with complicated questions like that. We can just go back to the simple question, what need is alive in that person that we'd like to contribute to? And so when we offer something like, ooh, I can imagine, I can that happening to me I can imagine me going numb in that moment I mean hopefully you're being authentic when you say that right and so that would be an example of normalizing and so when you do that you're making a guess that in that moment the person has a need for acceptance mm. maybe even self-acceptance maybe not from people around them but it's more being able to accept their own experience mm. That's really helpful. So then within the context of empathy, we can kind of shift in and out of empathy in a sense to say, oh, it seems like they have a need for acceptance. And so yeah. we might, yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, maybe the need for empathy isn't up. Maybe the need for acceptance is up, right? We're just attuning, we're trying to notice. If we've chosen, maybe the broader umbrella term was, I choose to offer my companionship and support in this moment. And I choose to do that by attuning to what you need. And then just guessing feelings and needs or just being a companion to their experience is more the empathy realm. Offering a sentence of shared humanity is meeting a need for acceptance. And I can't remember the third thing you named, but. It can be going back, it can be going back and forth quickly too, right? You can be like, yeah. Mm -hmm. shoot that in and this other need now comes back up and yeah yeah exactly and that's the attunement and the tracking of where what's alive in them and then you're also tracking how am i doing with all this so it's a <laughs> yeah <laughs> and you can ask if you have someone who 
Well, even if you don't have someone, what's the worst someone going to say if you say, would, would it help to hear what happened to me around what happened to me in a similar situation? And they say, well, I don't know what would help. Well, that's okay if they say that. <laughs> Maybe they don't know, right? And that's where for measuring, this brings back now to me full circle. If you're trying to get it right when you're new, yes. just focus on your intention and even share that intention with the other person. Yes. I'm just trying to be in companionship, you know, and I'm guessing that maybe, you know, this is helpful, but if it wasn't, you know, how about this or whatever? But I like that focus on intention instead of their reaction. Yeah, yeah right, right. We call that in the world of, well, at least in my world of therapy, we call that holding your seat. Mm. You stay in your seat of intention, regardless of how the other person is reacting. And that allows you to be flexible, right? Like in Aikido, you hold your center, but you allow that movement. Are you, how do you, um, this is actually one of our other questions. How do you react, or if you could even give an example, to someone who isn't ready to go vulnerable and you guessed a feeling need and you want to repair that connection in the moment, which happens sometimes, right? You have to be willing yeah. to make a little mess. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, and you know, the bigger, I think the bigger issue you're bringing up is empathy can be a violation, <laughs> land for the other person as a violation. If there is this deeper vulnerability, but their consciousness is up here in this set of feelings and needs, and there's this, what we might call deeper, feelings and needs and we go here but they're up here even if we're resonating truly with what's alive in them if they're not in contact with them with that then that seems like you're invading their space <clears throat> so then we can just say oh oh sorry it looks like that didn't land very well sorry about that i'm not i'm not wanting to analyze you or go where you don't want to go i'm just right. wanting to be with you sorry about that mm -hmm. And, and it, I can speak from personal experience working with you, Lachelle, where you've done, you've said things and my, based on my reaction, you say, oh, I'm thinking you're needing more empathy. Yeah. And then you shifted, but you even said it out loud, which was yeah. very, felt very respectful. And then one time you had shared, you know, it's uh, this need, I'm sensing it's this need and this need. And I was just like, okay, well, it makes sense, but I'm not feeling it. You said, okay, well, let's put it to the side. And then 10 minutes later, I was like, oh, okay, that's the need. And now it's... <laughs> And you were very patient to wait 10 minutes or whatever. Maybe it would yeah. come up. So yeah. I've seen you practice that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's that ability to just let go of my guess. Right. Because it's not what matters right now. Even though you were right, you were able to sort of like, you know, just sort of, okay, that's fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No. Do you find that we sometimes need, I, when Mark and I were talking about this, where you sometimes the person wants sort of a recap or sort of empathizing with their story thoughts and jackal show and other times, and they need that before they can soften into the need guess. And other times you can go right to the need guess, right? So you can be intellectually accurate, but they won't, you know, with underlying needs, but they want you to acknowledge the sort of the jackal show. And I just be helpful to sort of talk about your experience navigating that. Mm. Mm. Before you do, Lachelle, mm -hmm. one more dimension that Matt and I talked about with respect to this, which is it seems like that unless there is some attention or sufficient amount of attention given to the jack jackal show or to their feelings or to their story, that 
it, the needs guess won't land at all. And, and so that we need to go back. So there seems to be this energetic reality that we need to be conscious of, it sound, seems like. Um, and so to kind of support Matt's question, uh, yeah, clarity on, on that would be wonderful. Yeah. 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 And just for those who are listening, who haven't heard this term jackal show, jackal is just a metaphor in the world of nonviolent communication to represent disconnected thoughts or words when we're disconnected from what we care about in our own hearts yeah and it's particularly present with anger and when people are angry i find they really need some empathy for the thoughts first mm -hmm. yeah anger guilt shame and shutting down or off our four common kind of disconnecting forms of reactivity we often talk about the four alarms yeah, I would say we would want to, the way someone responds to an empathy guess or a reflection of their thoughts and their jackal show, their disconnected thoughts, depends on how connected they are with their intention to come back home to themselves. So if someone is angry and they're saying stuff and they really know like i don't want to be in this jackal show i don't want to be in this reactivity i want to know what's important and come back and you say you really wanted to be seen in that moment for how much you care right is that it and they go oh thank you that's it and they'll come right home because they were connected with their desire to come home in that way to themselves but if someone doesn't yet trust the joy and the relief that coming home to themselves brings, and they're trusting more the strategy of if I have enough power, if I have enough control, if only I'm right, then my needs will be met, then I'm going to take much more time reflecting the angry thoughts and judgments and just being present to all of that because I firmly believe that everybody does wanna come home to themselves. They may be more or less aware of that in a given moment or in a given lifetime, as the case may be. So I'm trusting that process. And sometimes if I have really no idea how close they are to wanting to come home, I'll match their energy and their tone, but I'll still make that exact same empathy guess, right? So they're really angry. Yeah, you're super pissed off because you wanted to see people to see how much you freaking cared about them, right? And I just match it, but I'm still saying that need of you wanted to be seen for how much you cared, mm. which are needs for care and contribution probably, right? For technically. I got an image of tasting like soup to see how hot it is. And sometimes you're like, woof, you know, and you got to pull back a little. And sometimes you're like, oh, this is good. We can go there. So you're sort of yeah, like this yeah, nice. feeling them out type of thing. Yeah, yeah. And there's also a matter of how much rapport and trust you have with the guesser. Always, like, always. That's right. Yeah. Like, like I notice if I'm angry and you're guessing, I'd be like, she's usually right, even if I'm not, you know, so <laughs> I'm, I'm going to go with this, but I'm not feeling it yet. Right. It, it yeah. hasn't, and other people, I'll be like, don't, you know, don't tell me that's what's going on. You don't know me, you know, so it also, there's a rapport yeah. trust thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. 
Michelle, I just can't tell you how sweet it was to hear that analogy of how close to home they uh, they are, or how how much they want to come back home. And Aww, yeah, what a I love that analogy. It's so sweet, and it's so I think relevant to this process. And that for me really answers that question of how much time am I going to spend with their disconnected thoughts or their feelings or their story versus trying to um, maybe uh, offer um, reflections that bring them closer to home maybe or, or that, that talk about home. Mm -hmm. um, that makes a lot of sense. Um, Matt, did you have any other questions with respect to that? I, that well, I wanted to say right there first, Mark, that it also, right, and you're constantly connecting with yourself. So it also depends on how much you en energy you have to reflect reactive thoughts. Yeah. Right? So you're just checking in. Do I still have energy? Do I still have energy? Mm. That's a huge point, actually, Michelle. I like, because I remember we did a role play and I was role-playing a really angry scenario and you reflected like three times and at the third one you had a boundary and said hey I'm really trying to stay connected and it's hard to hear mm -hmm. what you're saying to me right but I mm -hmm. that, that's really I like mm -hmm. that reminder to be checking in and having a boundary when you need it yeah and your boundary could be and I'm going to take a break or it could be and for me to be able to stay would be really helpful if you could just tell me what you heard, you've heard me guess so far mm. or it could be any kind of request there but just to say like there's a continuum between saying i had I, I, I waited too long to set a boundary and so now i need a total break or mm. if we do that soon enough often it can be a more subtle kind of request and intervention there or taking time for honest expression and i love i love that little point there that if you set a boundary sooner it actually allows you to stay connected longer mm -hmm. versus some people might be hesitant to they try to push to not have to set a boundary hoping it'll maybe it'll just go over real you know we'll be yeah done soon. yeah if i just if i can just hold out <laughs> but actually the boundary <laughs> helps you help the other person and help yourself too that's really a lot of times i've thought of boundaries as, as Oh, do I have to set one? Oh, you know, like yeah. it's, it's like they're cutting off. Kind of, of right, right. And I'm hearing you say that it actually increases connection here. Right. When it's a life serving boundary meant to connect with a need in you or a need in the other person, it's life serving, kind of a circular definition yeah. there. <laughs> yeah. I like that. Thanks. Well, I notice we're, we're about at time. So when, when I see you have something marked, so I just want to just kind of start to move towards a close and hear what you have, Mark, and then see if there's something you want to close with. So Mark, this, this better be really good because we're gonna be perfect. <laughs> <laughs> no pressure. Maybe we should just close. <laughs> no, no, Stop no. while you're ahead, right? Uh, no. Well, you know, Lachelle, I um, just wanted to say, and I mentioned this before our start, that one of the quotes that I um, first memorized when I first came to this practice a couple of years back, was a quote that you have in your outline on empathy and it's empathy often requires the ability to be comfortable with uncomfortable emotions and witness the suffering of others without trying to get them out of it this means letting go of any agenda for the other person and one of the things i guess i wanted to bring up was getting comfortable with uncomfortable emotions 
mm-hmm. how important it seems for this process of empathy mm-hmm. to be able to sit with uncomfortable emotions. And I'm wondering if maybe some last words you could share with us and your audience would be how we can practice to get more comfortable with uncomfortable emotions so that we can have the capacity to give this presence to other people. Yeah, beautiful. Yeah, so important. And I'm really happy you're bringing, bringing us back to what I think is foundational for all, all the personal work we do, that we're in a body and our bodies need constant regulation to stay balanced and support all the emotions and energies and thoughts moving through us. And so I would just come right back to that those regulation strategies and there's a free handout on my ways on my website wiseheartpdx.org and you can look at those regulation strategies so and to get more practical choose a regulation strategy that you like maybe that you already do and just bring a little more intention to it so this week i'm going to bring this regulation strategy of looking out a window or looking up at the sky when I feel something difficult. And I'm just gonna pause there for one breath, looking at nature and let that emotion or that sensation I don't like just be what, do whatever it does. And so we teach ourselves by those little practices that, oh, we are capable of experiencing big emotions. And we're capable of remembering to regulate. And so we're also developing the habit of trusting regulation, right? Trusting these regulation strategies. It's really important. Most of us have not have models of people who really know how to regulate their emotions and they can have big emotions without causing harm to themselves or others. And we don't have those models. And so we're really training ourselves that we have this capacity to regulate and be with and that starts with our in my mind that starts a lot with our bodies beautiful thank you so much yeah thank you anything else to close for today anything for you matt i really appreciated this topic this empathy is one of the most valuable skills and one of the hardest most challenging skills in my experience, yeah, so I enjoyed yeah. that, and also I I I experienced the harm of comparison, and I was comparing myself to Mark, mm. and he had three amazing quotes, and I didn't have any wise quotes today. So I'm coming back next time with a wonderful quote. <laughs> to, yeah to make sure I contribute that way too. Just kidding, just yeah. having fun with that. Thanks, Mark. Yeah, no, I really yeah. liked your quotes. Thank you, Mark. Yeah, you're celebrating Mark's quotes. I and am. Appreciating the qualities <laughs> that those quotes brought to our time together. Yes. And yeah. Yes, and then having a little fun there. Yeah, yeah, thank you. <laughs> thank you both. I send out a wish and a prayer that this benefits all who listen and they can absorb some of the richness that I certainly experienced with you both today. Mm. Thank you, Lachelle. Thank 
You can learn more about Mindful Compassionate Dialogue and find free resources, live offerings, and self-paced workshops online at www.wiseheartpdx.org. You can also connect with Wiseheart on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube, or by emailing info at wiseheartpdx.org.